what shifted is the focus on scaling and growth against all cost is over. Yes. If you don't have a path to profitability within the next 6, 12, 18 months, oh. uh, two years max, it's going to be really, really hard to raise money. So the horizon to be profitable, which was like, in, you know, forever, uh, especially in Silicon Valley, you can, like Uber being there like 12 years, not profitable. You could, Amazon for 20 years, you could back then. Today, the horizon is much shorter. Hello, everybody. Welcome at Beyond the Blend episode 9. This is a weekly podcast by Alberts with Real Talk on tech scale-ups. We're super happy to open our doors and to get you in while we take you through our journey and we invite interesting guests to talk about interesting topics. First up, please click that subscribe button. It is entirely for free and it makes sure that the YouTube algorithm will hunt you down once we have a new video. <laughs> I'm checking in from Antwerp, Belgium here today. I am now in our design lab together with Voxdale. Their logo is there actually. It's now 7 a.m. before this goes live on Wednesday morning. Our guest today is Omar Mohut. Holy damn, Omar is one of the beasts that I know. Somebody who's always sharp, his eyes are always sparkling, and he's always on top of new things. Today, Omar is partner at Nova Reperta. Omar had a super cool ride in his life. He went from entrepreneur to researcher, and now again through entrepreneur. We've been talking freely about that journey in his life, but we've also been talking about his previous research mindset, and he's giving us a view on the current market for technology scale-ups, as well as today's recession and how we can handle that. Super funny, exactly when I'm talking with a massive technology enthusiast, technology is failing us. The webcam we've shipped to him failed, so the quality is a bit less, but I hope you forgive us, and next time we'll do better. As always, five minutes on Albert's updates. Here we go. We got a new hire. His name is Philip Krivitz. Many things new with this hire. It's the first curly mustache we have in the team. <laughs> but on a more serious note, Philip is the fourth hire in a row where we change our strategy to hire more senior people in our team. Philip has 15 years of experience under his belt in various tech roles. Uh, he was a long time active at the international company Barco. Philip will be our production lead. You see him here in the picture when we were visiting our new production site together with our partner Dekimo. So Philip, massive welcome to the team and let's kickstart the production full force in the next months and get machines out of that factory. Second update for this week is a rather big one. We have launched a new innovation project at Alberts and we got it granted from EIT Food, which is the European Commission. The project is called Take Part. Take Part is all about boosting the adoption of plant-based drinks and protein through the Alberts Food Robotics technology. Who's taking part in Take Part? <laughs> Pun intended. We have Alberts, of course, Alpro, part of the Denon Group, Decathlon, Colroyd, Zentis, and Cube. Our goal altogether is to bring these plant-based drinks and protein to the masses uh, in a super tasty way. We've developed a technology in order to include these protein drinks and protein uh, components into the Alberts technology. Uh, that meant we had to freeze these components in a sexy and a healthy way, and that we had to develop a whole bunch of new recipes together with these partners. We'll be doing the commercial rollout next week and the week after that. Uh, the first machine will be with Decathlon by the end of this month. We are super thrilled about this. There will be way more news about this, but I've promised that you get the first glimpse of it here. And well, here it is, first glimpse for YouTube. There you go. Before I forget, the t-shirt this week goes to Sarah Engels. Sarah, thank you for the shout out on LinkedIn on the Beyond the Blend podcast. Sarah, you have been helping us uh, a lot actually in the past. So thank you very much 
for everybody who wants merch just as well like Sara is getting into her email now. Comment, like, subscribe on the uh, any channel you want, Spotify, YouTube or whatever, or go to Albert's Merch here on top, alberts.be slash merch in order to get your own t-shirt. Everybody, peace out. Bye-bye. Let's go. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode number nine with Omar. Enjoy yourself. We have a massively busy week still ahead. It's Wednesday now, so we still have more than half of the week. The morning was already great. Enjoy yourself over there. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Welcome, everybody, back at Beyond the Blend. I'm super happy to be here today in episode eight. Omar Mahout is our guest. Welcome, Omar. How are you doing? Thank you. Great having you on the line and catching up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we can say it's the third time we had to start because we had a lot of technical issues. <laughs> but third time, good time, as they say. Um, so, Omar, I know you for a long time. Your current occupation is the part, is being a partner at Nova Reperta. I want to know all about the name, by the way, as well. I did some Googling, I have to admit. Um, but I know you from, uh, let's say, or actually already, I think five years ago or even more. Um, I know you as the professor, the experts in anything, innovation, scale up, how to grow uh, big, how to grow fast, how to scale up. Um, when I went to events uh, which were organized by any organization, let's say in Belgium and around, uh, you were one of the high speaking guests. Almost always, you were the one that brought real new information to the table, not just a pitch of like, <laughs> that was already dusty like crazy. You always had something new, insights. So I always loved it. And now I have half an hour to talk with you. So I can really say I'm enthusiastic. Um, But what I think maybe not many people know about you is that you're actually an entrepreneur at heart as well before you started your professor expert uh, era. And now again, you're an entrepreneur. So could we talk a bit on how your journey of life uh, or your professional life at least uh, went uh, and share some thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think uh, if I go back in time, um, as, as a young boy, my, my first love was uh, reading books, uh, Glenn, really reading books. I, I've been to the local library. I'm from um, Mechelen, Malin, small town yeah. in, uh, in Flanders. Um, and um, the whole um, children corner department, I've been to it in, I think, in four or five years. Oh, so by the age of, of 12, I finished the library or the section <laughs> that I was allowed to read. Let's put it that way. In the, honestly, um, it's like I, Mario I, Land, you reach the end boss and it's done. <laughs> exactly and the end boss was a lady I still remember her which will not allow me to go to the grown up section right uh, mm-hmm. because of perhaps certain books I don't know because I've never been there as a child yeah. it was like uh, the other side of the wall I was not allowed to go um, but then I, I grew a bit uh, a bit older and I discovered um, computers thanks to Commodore 64 in the oh, 80s oh that's Yes, uh, and then MSX, which was actually Microsoft and a Japanese kind of uh, joint venture. And I really started into programming um, uh, and really get fascinated by computers for the next, uh, for the rest of my life up to, up to now. Mm-hmm. So I became a software engineer. Uh, back in the 90s, I, I worked at companies like Compaq, mm-hmm. um, working at the Center of Excellence uh, based in Ever in Brussels. Um, much the 90s back then and you're much younger Glenn but the 90s were the years of CRM systems Siebel mm-hmm. and whatever you had mm-hmm. very expensive systems um, to buy and even more to implement as such and we uh, thought some of my colleagues that we can do better and make a lighter solution to solve that um, 
to be very honest with you, I would not uh, have become an entrepreneur if not two other people mm. convinced me to join them in doing that uh, as mm. such. Okay. Um, because what people sometimes forget is uh, you live in your comfort zone. Yes, we know. Eh? You have your salary and you have yeah. whatever there is. It's not just your comfort zone. It's also your, uh, how do you say that, your reference frame. You, mm -hmm. you lose your whole reference frame. I mean, whatever yeah. you used to do in your job that you're doing in there, you come into totally new ter territory. It's not just like the comfort you're leaving. It's like jumping into in the unknown. And I think you've been there yourself, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and once again, I would never was able to make that step. In, in my mindset, when I graduated, um, you become an entrepreneur if your parents were entrepreneurs. I mm. never thought it was a career option. I mean, uh, again, mm. I'm talking about early the 90s. Uh, you had to go for a good job at a good company, whatever that company was and the job was. I would never have even thought it's an option for me to become an entrepreneur. Crazy. Uh, luckily, now time changed, but back then that was the case. So mm. thanks to two other colleagues, the three of us, we had made a step in becoming an entrepreneur. Wow. Um, venture backed, uh, growing very fast in there. Then something happened, which was the dot com crisis uh, in 2000, 2001. Um, and the market crashed and we crashed. Now, the okay. interesting part was um, during the growth stage, it was exciting and nice and whatever. But I learned the most as a human, as a person, as a professional, as an entrepreneur when we crashed. Oh, okay. That was the real learn curve. And was and that fast? How long? Because they sometimes say like a, a bankruptcy uh, is long time coming, but you actually don't see it. And that all of a sudden is there. Uh, was it like that? Or was it more like, no, we very well felt the right down. <laughs> like Yes, we, we hit the wall very, very hard and we struggled to survive, uh, oh. basically. Um, that's why I realized that the, the, the whole point of uh, getting up a mountain is not to get to the top in there is to get back safely down uh, right yeah, nice, this is nice, the nice, real nice. purpose of uh, getting to the mountain if you're not getting saved down what's the point you died on the top it doesn't really make sense that's not the yeah, objective yeah. right nice. um but also from a human point of view i mean honestly glenn to um to fire people good people talent oh, people man. people that you train that you know that you promise they commit that you convince to put all their uh, time in you oh, and you have God. to give on them uh, it it was really really hard i think it was um, perhaps in my life my most depressing time in there. It was like, like a nightmare uh, in there. With, I survived, uh, to be very clear, um, in there. But it was actually my first entrepreneurial experience. And how long um, was that? Can I ask? Like, how long is that time frame from that uh, exit the big corpse and all of a sudden, whoops, and then all the way? It took, uh, in total, I think it took three years to hit the wall. It wow. took another uh, two years to clean it up as such, and to really have a soft landing. Soft landing means avoiding bankruptcy, eh? not more mm -hmm. than that, not successful. The company has been sold, but not, people say, oh, it's an exit. It's not, it was liability. Mm -hmm. And I was, we were really happy that we could uh, sell it as such. Yeah. That was also the time that I, I really considered to go back to the corporate world, really. Mm -hmm. I thought like, why? I mean, what's the point being an entrepreneur? Maybe I should go back to the entrepreneur world uh, in there. Um, but lucky enough, I, um, I, uh, I took a kind of sabbatical by taking a job in the Middle East, um, based in Dubai and Bahrain as an executive. Mm -hmm. So I was a bit out of the system for uh, three, four years, okay. which was a good way to take a distance. And then I, I, um, I came back and I, uh, I got uh, offered to join again an uh, early stage startup based in Germany. In there, I joined that company. It became a success as such. I was really like the good part of it. Nice. Until 
yeah, absolutely. Until uh, 2010. Um, and then you had earnout. That's when I learned that earnout, I thought two years is nothing. You should not be too long in an earnout. And is two uh, years long? Two years is long? Yes. Or? Ah, okay, two yes. Years. Yeah. I, I, it happened to me. Uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask is it too long? Because I have to say, you already did that right and you personally still have to go, or it's also just unhealthy for the company? I think it's uh, healthy for both sides. I think if you have a plan to stay in that company and go to the next stage, that's a different uh, ballgame. But mm -hmm. if the plan is that you phase out, two years is a long time. I had that experience. Um, and after I left, I recommend to another entrepreneur who signed for three years, right? Okay. Three years, uh, somebody from Brussels, um, being acquired by Canadian, uh, Canadian, Canadian company. He moved to the US for that. And he said, no, man, it's going to be three years, going to be fun. I'm going to be VP engineering. I'm going to enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, after one year, he felt so sorry that oh, he dropped his earnings for the last uh, year and a half to really leave the company. So oh, one recommendation, be careful. Don't stay too long if you want to phase out. So that okay. uh, happened to me. That's so that's my entrepreneurship part. Um, so uh, by then I, I uh, became like 40 something in mm -hmm. there. I got uh, an offer from Ceres, who is a um, research center for technology industry here in Belgium, yeah. um, to join them and become a researcher. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, okay, I'm moving out on the next stage of my life, right? In there, yeah, 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 time yeah. to go into research. I think you did the opposite, right? You came from research. <laughs> yeah, into... actually, yeah. Because I was first, like, I did my PhD in uh, the Vrije Universiteit Brussel, so the University of Brussels, and then also in uh, Italy, in Pisa. And uh, actually, yeah, we almost, let's say, rolled out the lab while being in a first startup and then already in a second. <laughs> so, uh, actually, still okay. today, I'm 10% postdoc, so somehow it's still... Uh, okay, it's still there. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I like it a lot, actually. But uh, yeah, so, yeah, okay. so but okay. you then, actually, when you were 40, then you actually enrolled in let's say in academia, out of nothing, not having anything to do with academia, basically, at that point. No, right? I, I never saw myself as an acad uh, academic uh, personal profile. I never thought about that career path. But by becoming a researcher at Ceres, uh, I start collecting data, I start doing uh, analyzing and etc. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, um, I met um, two people, one from Antwerp Management School, Patrick Keynes, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. one from uh, Software Business School, uh, Olivier Wittmer who actually uh, said, but you know, Omar, uh, given what you're doing, the content you're creating, I was writing books, um, the data, why don't you, first of all, um, start to teach, and second, do a PhD on the subject, because the challenge of the PhD ah, is data. I mean, yeah, if you yeah, have the course, data, you can, there, why you can would go, you not? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I had, uh, I didn't have the issue of data. I had a lot of data. I had to do the opposite, right? And yeah. write in there. <laughs> most, most PhD students I know, they're like, I don't know any data, you know, I don't have experiments. So you had too much. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yes, I, I did a lot of workshop. I started teaching. Um, I really enjoyed what I was doing. Uh, and I really thought, Glenn, this is... Uh, the end of my professional life. I will do it for the next 20, 25 years. Okay. Right? And and when I say I, I, I love to do that, I, I mean I'm doing seven days on seven. Yeah, Every Friday force. evening. Yeah. Friday evening, I was doing data entry. Imagine data entry. Oh, Saturday, I was writing. Sunday, I was writing. And then Monday to Friday, I had meetings and workshops and keynotes. Dude, also you're a machine. <laughs> you're a machine. What the fuck? <laughs> no, that's what I said in the beginning. You always had new stuff. You know, everybody came with the old stuff. 
<laughs> you always had the new. You. you always had the new stuff. <laughs> so it was always that. Okay, so, so wow, seven or seven. Uh, yes. And how many years was, was that then? That was. Uh, uh, I did it for um, almost nine years. Yeah. Uh, actually. Wow. Yes, uh, and I, I uh, like once in a year, somebody would ask, you know, Omar, you're coaching so many entrepreneurs. Um, don't you feel like you want again to get into entrepreneurship? And I said, yeah. absolutely not. I'm a very happy man because <laughs> I didn't forget what it was to be an entrepreneur. I, mm. I remember the good, but I remember also the bad and the ugly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to be very honest, and I'm sure you will recognize that, Glenn, is as an entrepreneur, I always had stress. It was mm -hmm. always stress. I mean, you had to pay the bank, you had to pay the employees, you had, yeah. to, you, you had good people you hired and somebody else would leave. You had shitty things with customers. Yeah, it's so, it's I, I was always under pressure, seven mm -hmm. days on seven. People forget about that, um, but I didn't. So in these nine years, I really uh, I liked the entrepreneurship part. I'm uh, really happy I did that, but I also didn't forget about you know, the, the, bad. The, <laughs> the bad and the ugly part of entrepreneurship. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, voila, I, I had no other plans until uh, last year. Um, I, uh, I got an offer to join Nova Reperta. Um, I always been in product companies uh, originally yeah. in there. Now I'm in a service company in strategy mm -hmm. consulting mm -hmm. uh, as such. And uh, I had a feeling on one side is that uh, my learning curve starts to slow down. When you're nine years, yeah. like day and night, I mean, compared to your PhD, you're like deep into it, but then for yeah. nine years, yeah. at some point it goes slowly. I, I wrote nine books on the subject uh, as such. So, yeah, you know, I, 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 it's quite a lot on the subject of um, everything on startups and scale-ups. And the second thing is I felt if I don't make the step to be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. given my age, I was 52 back then, so last year, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then when will I do it? Because if I postpone this for five or 10 years, uh, it's going to be yeah. over. Uh, reality yeah. of life, if you want to be an entrepreneur, best case, it will take 10 years. And then it, yeah, it really gets started, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. look at you. You are at six, seven years now. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I still feel like we're getting started, actually. <laughs> exactly. And that's the best case scenario, because if things go wrong, it will be earlier. So <laughs> yeah. given that horizon of 10 years, in there, I had the feeling like if I want to do it again, it's now or never reality. Okay. Um, so I didn't sleep for a weekend. I can and, imagine. <laughs> and on Monday morning, I decided to uh, to make the step, and here I am. I'm back in uh, back in business. Nice, nice. Can I can I ask a question actually? Because so for me in this whole startup world, let's say I I know the ins and outs after all these years. Um, not everything at all, because there are many things we didn't do yet, but at least the basics. Um, but at Nova Reperta, like you say, it was already an existing company, so you didn't start a new company. You basically joined the company. And then, as it, beautifully, as it beautifully says on the card, you become a partner. Can you give us some insights? Of course, not all the personal <coughs> uh, details, but can you give us some insight? What does that mean? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think one of the reasons why I joined is because of the ambition of Nova Reperta. Uh, it's today a company of um, around 60 people based in, uh, in Belgium and the Netherlands. And the ambition was to grow and become European player and to shift to digital. Now, um, you have to know, Glenn, I was teaching at the university and at the business schools strategy of growth. I was explaining to people how to grow, how to apply um, acquisitions, M&A, and all these kinds of things, right? But I never did it myself. Uh, okay. yeah. I, I, I never acquired companies and never did the buy and build strategy, right? Although I was yeah. teaching about it, I never did it. <laughs> yes. um, 
So um, with Nova Aperta, we have a private equity investor called Ardian from, uh, from Paris. In there, we can apply uh, buy and build strategy on European level for the coming okay. years. Mm -hmm. um, and second, uh, given my background, I will support the shift to digital. I'm rather surprised. I know the startup scale-up side, which are tools for bigger companies in B2B. So that really makes sense. Um, so I'm joining myself today in growing the company on digital and joining myself in applying my own, eating my own dog food in terms of acquiring companies as such. Nice. So you're reading your own books in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to my surprise, I had to look back sometimes. Oh, yeah, it does make sense or not. So I, I am really applying it. Okay. Okay, I see. Now, uh, to be honest, that is actually... Yeah, you almost covered an, a bit all the aspects actually now becoming a partner of a company that can do buy and build and in the beginning build yourself. That's super cool. Um, um, can we, for once, for, for all time's sake, <laughs> dive, dive back into your uh, previous role um, and talk a little bit about uh, the state of the union, let's say, uh, or as you call it yourself very often. Um, <clears throat> uh, what I mean is about the scale of landscape. Um, yeah, I know it's your passion. So I, I, although probably on Friday evening, you're not anymore entering data, I still somehow have the feeling that you still follow it rather closely. Um, I do. So today we are living a bear market, as they say. Uh, today we're living a time where um, it, is, um, it is claimed that the technology bubble might be there, that valuations went through the roof, that um, uh, technology is maybe hitting some walls because the economy is maybe crashing or slowing down. Um, I think it would be very interesting, at least for me, but I think for the audience as well, to get some insights about what's in what's in your head. Uh, how will, of course, you're not a future teller, so you don't know the future, but how do you see uh, the economy today or the, the state of the union? And how, what are some insights that you think, based on the past, how this might go forward? Yeah, I think to put it in perspective, um, Glenn, at the end of the day, Belgium is like... Um, a small ecosystem. We like a bonsai. It's small. It's beautiful. It's a lot of right. work to keep it small and beautiful <laughs> in there. But it, it is small. Um, first of all, um, it's about in terms of funding. It's about one percent of all the funding in um, in Europe. One okay. percent. Uh, wow. I think our population is like four percent, perhaps in Belgium. We're doing one percent. Really? Uh, to oh, put absolutely. yes. That's, wow. That's only one. I, did, I didn't know that. So yes. basically, we're missing. Let's say, based on population, we could actually fourfold, or we should, let's say. Uh, I think so. I mean, we do about like uh, one, one billion euros in funding per year. Mm -hmm. Europe is about 100 billion last year yeah. in there. So it's 1%, easy calculation. Yeah. To put even in more perspective, if I compare to the real benchmark, I mean, Europe is one thing. Let's yeah. look to Silicon Valley, which is a different world. But just mm -hmm. to put in perspective, if you, if you look to funding of technology companies, Everything except biotech, to be very clear, it's a different mm -hmm. uh, animal. But all the funding from the 80s to today, the whole of Belgium, over 40 years, mm -hmm. we talk about um, 8 to 10 billion euros over okay. 40 years, right? Now, compare this 40 years of funding in Belgium to one company in Silicon Valley, like Uber. They yeah. raised more than 30 billion. Yeah, indeed. And, and one company. And our national debt is like 350 billion or something like that. So if you... That's correct. That. 
or something yeah. like that. Maybe, maybe I, I guess it's increasing by the day now. So we, of course, uh, indeed, uh, very, very fast. But but yeah. you're right. I mean, I think our GDP is like 400, something like that yeah. uh, in there. Uh, and you, you see how little money is going actually to that ecosystem. <laughs> Why I'm saying it is, let's assume there is a, a big bubble, right? Mm -hmm. Around mm -hmm. tech and everything in there. And to a certain extent, there is. But on the Belgian scale, it will be... A, very, very, very small bubble. We talk only about mm, 1 billion right. per year. We had it uh, for the third year in a row, 1 billion. We had it two years ago, last year. We're going to hit it again this year uh, as such. But that's it. I mean, it's not mm. like, you know, it will it will not like uh, be a big game changer. So okay. Okay. that's one important element to put it in perspective. Mm. The second thing is, to look what we are really good in. Let's start from Europe. Europe is different than the US, it's different than, than Asia and China. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, Europe in itself is focusing mainly on business to business, not business to consumer. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what you know from Silicon Valley, like the Apples and the Ubers and the, and the, and the, uh, and the Teslas and, and, and the Facebooks, they're all B2C companies, yes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, um, most of them. Uh, you will, uh, except maybe for Oracle, you're going to have to think hard to find another B2B component you know from Silicon Valley. Uh, but in Europe, uh, people say, what well, are the unicorns uh, as such? They are there, but we don't know them because they are in B2B. It's not like a consumer brand in there, very focused on a certain uh, aspect and therefore less known to the bigger audience. So our ecosystem is different than in the US, right? Um, Within Europe, the number one country, which is the highest percentage of B2B startups and scale-ups, is Ireland. Oh. Number two is Belgium. So no are, way! Yes. Of all European countries, the number two, okay. yeah, the highest percentage is, uh, it's like two-thirds, 70-something uh, percent, are business-to-business -business startups and scale-ups in Belgium. Okay. Um, so it's a different ecosystem mm -hmm. than in the U.S., the other thing which I, I strongly believe in is um, to focus where you're good at. Um, if you take Europe and, again, specifically Belgium, you can see that, uh, for instance, um, if you go to Silicon Valley, Glen, you might be surprised in the, the high-tech city of the world or region of the world, mm -hmm. you will still see people there, not just sleeping in the street, that's a different issue they have. Yeah, I, but I saw them there. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's horrible uh, in there. But more important, or more important, uh, I don't think it's more important, other observation is you can see people writing checks by hand. I don't know uh, your age, but I don't think you will ever in your life did write a check, right? I don't think I you didn't did write it. I saw it as a kid. Uh, so I'm from uh, 89. Uh, so I, I lived in the 90s, but shitting my pants. Um, but <laughs> but no, I saw, I still remember, vaguely remember checks. But for me, it's like, no, I never wrote it, no. Exactly. Uh, even I, I mean, I perhaps did maybe one or two in the beginning, a long time ago, mm -hmm. certain things. But today you still see people taking check and paying small amounts, big amounts. This is Silicon Valley, right? I mean, so from that point of view, they're uh, in certain areas not advanced. So where is Europe leading? It's in financial services. I mean, we have a um, number of great companies, uh, which are unicorns also in, in fintech. Mm -hmm. And the second one in Europe is health tech, everything around health. Uh, so that's quite advanced. In Belgium, the number one industry is health tech, by far. I, for one, am a strong believer that Belgium has a very good position to take if you combine biotech, which we're mm -hmm. good in, 
-hmm. you, you take software and which is health tech, you take a position in there. That's something mm -hmm. where we can take a position on a European level. Mm -hmm. yep. And the last thing, um, and you're actually part of that, is where Europe is good in uh, compared to the US is hardware. Yes. Much more innovation in hardware. As you know, Glenn, hardware is hard, right? Hardware is hard, yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very challenging in there. Um, I mean, uh, take historically, um, technology like Arduino, Raspberry Pi, are made in Europe, eh? in Italy and in the UK. So we are in general in Europe and more specifically in countries like Belgium, there's a strong engineer culture uh, mm -hmm. as well, gives us an edge on hardware. Yeah. But if you would ask me, how many investors do we have focusing on hardware? Not a lot. Not a lot, right? Um, I know, no, not a lot. No. Uh, which is surprising. Eh? You would assume mm. that in Europe, and specifically in Belgium, we don't have that. Despite our hardware culture as such, yeah. it's very, very hard to find investors in hardware uh, as such. No, it's true. I also feel that like, so I, all the investment firms have, let's say, an investment focus. And what I really, yeah. what I really encounter in the last years already is like, okay, uh, what we do, what are we doing? We have a B to B to C, so. Yes, we do B2B with a partner, but we have also the brand. So we have a brand, we have food, and we have hardware. The investor that likes with all their heart, all these three fields at the same time, they're rather rare. <laughs> so you, you always encounter like a doubt or mm, that's actually not really our field. No, we don't really like brands or Oof, we don't do hardware or food is nothing for us. And so it's very hard, or at least in our experience, to really find that that investor that says, yes, I want this, but you're right, since in the country we're very strong in these fields, we do find uh, very big business angels, but it's more almost uh, so very, very big players or multinationals from Belgium who say, yeah, that's what I want to join because I, I'm really good at that or that's my passion or my heart or, or that's what I can do well. So, yeah, I can definitely underline what you say that, that, that there's yeah. cars. And that's, that's, I think, uh, the challenge that we have in Europe. If we should back much more these kind of companies, because there we have an edge compared to uh, US, not compared to, the, to China, because they have really like a strong manufacturing industry and hardware mm -hmm. yeah, in there. Nice. Massive. Eh? It's, uh, it's unique as well. But here in Europe, I don't, uh, I believe there is a lot of room to improve on that side. And, and you're a very good example of it. I mean, the combination, unique combination, what you try to do, software, hardware, and you add food to it, which has its own dynamics and challenges, yeah. uh, as you know very well. That's extremely hard what you're doing in there. But if it's done well, it can really make amazing impact on a number of things. Yes. So um, I'm not saying because in the call, I'm just saying that this is, a, you're a very good example of Albert's, what we need to do also here in Belgium. Mm. Okay. Okay, good. Now let's hope all the investors are listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Uh, I think what is on many uh, entrepreneurs' minds, we've been talking a lot about scaling and scaling often requires funding. Um, so today, the market climate is definitely uh, on the more negative side. Uh, are we in a recession or not is the big question in the USA. Um, uh, definitions get redefined and everything uh, as they speak. However, a question from me to you is, uh, we're now in September. Business world is opening uh, and flourishing. Um, I hear some founders and I hear some advisors say, oh, the venture capital market or the funding market in general, wherever you go, might be very hard. It might be super hard to raise funds. Um, everything will dry up. Things will be different. So 
I just have a question to you. Do you have any insights from the past or from uh, the knowledge you have on how that might turn out or maybe any advice on how there are some tips and tricks to handle um, this situation? Well, if you look, if you look back, Glenn, uh, every startup scale-up has uh, the same challenges. Basically, it's one, access to markets, access to customers, access to talent, access to funding. Yeah. Always comes back. Customers, markets, talent and funding. Not necessarily in that order, but always comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you've been there before the recession, right? To try to, to raise money. Wasn't it really hard? Or really, yeah, yeah. really hard? It, <laughs> it was amazingly I mean, hard, yeah. Always it was amazingly hard, <laughs> yes. Ask any founder early on, it was always been hard. People mm-hmm. forget that it's always been hard. Um, but you're seeing today in there, um, it's true, uh, the challenges even increased more. I think what shifted is the focus on scaling and growth against all cost is over. Yes. If you don't have a path to profitability within the next 6, 12, 18 months, oh. uh, two years max, it's going to be really, really hard to raise money. So the horizon to be profitable, which was like, in, you know, forever, uh, especially in Silicon Valley, you can, like Uber being there like 12 years, not profitable. You could, Amazon for 20 years, you could back then. Today, the horizon is much shorter. And in Belgium, being a um, small um, small town uh, as such, VCs even requiring shorter than in Silicon Valley. So that's a fact. So if you today say, hey, I have a product here, I'm looking for money to um, start growing, and you don't have a plan to make it happen, you don't have validation as such, bon chance, it's going to be extremely mm. hard. Having said that, uh, there is more money than ever, and money is finding its way to stories that can, or ventures that can bring value, right, to investors mm-hmm. by definition. So you will see that the strong gets stronger against the weak getting weaker, meaning mm-hmm. it's harder to raise a Series A, it's easier to go to Series C if you have the right numbers. Mm-hmm. So the tickets get much, much bigger. There's less deals, but there's more money, but only for the winners, the one that could really show the profitable, can grow, acquire even more markets and keep it going. Yeah. No, okay. I totally understand that. I also feel in conversation I have today, I also feel that one of the big questions is, Certainly in this hardware world, the question is always, how far are you still from the market? You know, uh, do you already have the production ready? Uh, is everything already set in place? And <clears throat> I mean, in all openness, that's also what I shared with the team uh, at Alberts. Like, yes, we still have a long road to go. Yes, it's true. Um, however, we have many of the building blocks like ready in place. Like we are building machines. We have uh, uh, production runs of our food done. Um, we now also have the brand deal I mentioned before, which we can announce soon. So many of these things are now actually in place. So what we have to do is double down, double down on what we're doing and go full force ahead to show that that scaling is indeed possible and that yes, we can um, <clears throat> uh, open new regions or open new um, uh, new territories. So yeah, I, I also like it that you <laughs> that somehow what you said is somehow in line um, with our thoughts today. But that being said, I think indeed it will be very hard for it might be hard. And I feel sorry for, for some of them, for companies that are still at the early stage with their technology and still have a long way to go. I mean, with Alberts, we did more than six years to get something that is starting to be stable and has a production behind it. Yeah, if we would now be in year uh, year one, it, uh, it might really be tough to, uh, to bridge uh, Forget that, so. it, Glenn. If this was year one, there would be no year one. Uh, forget it. It's not going to happen. Okay. I mean, it, it's because you've been there six years fighting, see how what, to get to the point like 
okay, we got it right, different components and different business mm -hmm. model and everything around that, that you can really come up and make uh, potentially another another big step. Okay, okay, good. Okay, good, so good motivation to go for it. <laughs> Absolutely, you should keep going. Okay, Omar, thank you very much uh, for being here. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. And again, I've learned new things. So you definitely didn't uh, unlearn your best skill set. Um, Thank you. I wish you all the best uh, with Nova Reperta. Uh, Thank you very much. I also really like that you said that uh, if you go for something, you have to be prepared to do it 10 years to make it big. I think that's a super cool mindset. So uh, thank you so much for everything. Have a good night and uh, catch you Thank on you the so much. Sides. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.